Um, in the short time that I have been at Hope, uh, and the even shorter time that I have been serving here, I've grown fond of this church. Krista and I have been welcomed and loved by you all. It has been a joy getting to teach John's gospel to the middle school boys in Sunday school, some of whom I see uh, here today. Um, And my weekly meetings with David uh, have been a source of great wisdom, among many other things, um, to think about um, as I pursue my seminary studies and consider my call into Christian ministry. Uh, I thank God for this church and for each and every one of you Uh, because this church is you guys. These are fitting sentiments for today and for this service of thanksgiving, uh, in which we are intentionally looking back upon our year, upon our lives, uh, and remembering God's faithfulness to us in them, and to give him thanks for it. This is what I just did with respect to this church. I looked back on what has happened, gave thanks to God, and therefore imaged for you what Thanksgiving looks like. Uh, I did a very good job, I can say. I modeled Thanksgiving for you all, and yeah, it would be nice if I were able to simply say, go and do likewise, and I could go sit down, uh, sit next to David, get a pat on the back, uh, and say, wow, my first sermon at Hope went off without a hitch. Good job, Stephen. Um, and then we'd have more, times for tes- more time for testimonies to hear from you all, and we'd also be able to get home sooner and get some food in our uh, stomachs a bit quicker. Um, but that's not what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> Thanksgiving is not so simple a matter, uh, and there is much more to be said about it. Uh, this side of the new heavens and the new earth, our lives are messy and complicated affairs. There are times of joy and times of sorrow. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes was correct about a lot of things. Um, some in this congregation this year um, are celebrating today with joy because, say, God has blessed them with a child. I think of Christopher and Ashley, who very recently uh, have been blessed with Pax. Stedman now has a new friend to play with in addition to those two devilish chihuahuas that bark at him. Um, <laughs> um, but others in this congregation... Um, look at today with heavier hearts because perhaps a person who formerly uh, shared the table with them is not going to this year, either because of distance uh, or because of death or something of that nature, something heavier than distance. Um, And some of us might share the table, say, with uh, new friends who've come to Princeton from far away. Uh, We have people like Terrence and Emma who come here all the way from Hong Kong and Taiwan. Um, But just as we are blessed with new friends um, from far away, Uh, People who are from far away long, in a sense, for those uh, whom they've left, whom they love, uh, even if only to share a meal with them. And then there's the fact that so much of our lives are marked by both joy and sorrow. The excitement that comes with visiting a friend who lives across the country is mixed with the sorrow of having to say, goodbye, I'll see you in a few months, or longer than that. Um, The joy that comes with a promotion at work Um, is mingled with the disappointment of longer hours at the office or the anxiety that often comes with greater responsibility over others. Thanksgiving comes to us as a command in Scripture. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for us. I sometimes find it hard to give thanks in all circumstances, and I imagine that some of you do also. Our God is not a cruel taskmaster, but a good father who gives good gifts to his children. 
What does it mean for this command to give thanks in all circumstances, not to be a heavy, seemingly impossible task, but to come to us as good news? This is one of the things that our scripture for this morning has to teach us, how thanksgiving and thankfulness are good gifts from God. And we are going to see this by the example of Paul himself. Paul puts on full display what it means to give thanks in all circumstances, even those that are marked by suffering and sorrow. And by looking to him, my hope is that we might learn to do likewise and experience for ourselves how thanksgiving, even as a command from God, is a gift, a gift that points us back to the gospel. So if you'd be so kind as to open the Bibles in front of you uh, to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Uh, If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat backs, I believe it's on page 1247. That's what I wrote on my hand. Um, That's what the bulletin says, yes. So join with me as I read from God's word. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. Paul writes to the Philippians from the floor of a Roman prison. He is chained to a Roman guard and dictating his letter aloud to Timothy. Paul relies on the benevolence of friends for food and clothing. Elsewhere in the letter, he seems to suspect that he is not long for this world, that he will die soon and even says that he would prefer to die sooner rather than later. After greeting the Philippians, Paul opens his letter by thanking God for them. Paul is grateful to God for the Philippians, not to the Philippians for the Philippians. While my instinct, when someone is consistently kind to me, is first to thank them, this is not what Paul does. While it is clear that Paul is grateful for the Philippians and all they have done for him in his imprisonment, He does not thank them, nor does he mention what they have done for him, at least not yet. But he thanks God. He does this because he is able to see behind the fellowship and the kindness of the Philippians, in no way diminishing it, to the source which makes such friends and such friendship possible in the first place. We see this in verse 5, where Paul gets to the content of the thanks, the thing for which he is thankful. Paul is thankful for the Philippians because they, along with him, have been made partners in the gospel. They share fellowship with one another in the gospel. This is something that only God could have done. There is nothing on earth that could have brought about true fellowship between Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the persecutor of the church, and a bunch of Gentiles from Philippi. Paul is even more aware of this because he founded the Philippian church. Were it not for Christ saving him from himself and calling him to be a missionary to the Gentiles, Paul would have never even met these dear brothers and sisters, let alone befriended them. 
So the gospel is the ground of Paul's friendship with the Philippians and therefore is the ground for the thanksgiving he offers to God. But Paul is not thankful to God merely for the fact that the Philippians are partners with him in the gospel, but he is also thankful for how they have been partners with him. The Philippians were partners in the gospel with Paul when Paul first converted them and have persevered in this partnership. As we see in verse 5, from the first day until now, the very moment that Paul is writing. This perseverance has taken the concrete form of bringing Paul aid while he is in prison, but it is not limited to this. Paul knows just how hard perseverance in the Christian life is. All you have to do is turn to Romans 7 after I'm done preaching here, and you can see that on full display. He knows that it is impossible to persevere by one's own power. And so in the case of the Philippians, perseverance their perseverance, Paul thanks God because God is the one who has given them the grace to persevere. Paul's thanksgiving to God for the Philippians is both made possible and actual by the gospel because it is God's grace that has been responsible from their friendship from the beginning, from the first time until now. Even though in a very formal sense, Paul's thanksgiving ends with verse 5, its consequences do not, and so it really doesn't either. And we can see why this is the case in verse 4. When Paul prays for the Philippians, which he does whenever he remembers them, and which always entails thanking God for them, he prays with joy. Paul, in spite of his conditions as a prisoner, has joy. He has joy in the remembrance of and prayer for the Philippians. They give him joy. Even though they are separated by land and sea, the fellowship that Paul has with the Philippians in the gospel is so excellent and so wonderful that simply praying for them brings Paul joy. And Paul says in verse 7 that it is right for him to feel this joy on account of the Philippians. Why is that? It's because he holds them in his heart. He loves them because they are partakers with him of grace. The grace that made the fellowship possible in the past the grace for which Paul is ultimately thankful is, alt is also the grace which brings Paul joy in the present. It is the grace that has empowered the Philippians to bring Paul sustenance, the grace that has let them love him in his imprisonment. It is also the grace that has brought them to persevere, such that they both defend and confirm the gospel through their witnessing, doing the very thing that Paul has, is doing himself as he sits in prison, preaching to the guards and his fellow prisoners. And this joy, this joy in the midst of suffering is so great, this love that Paul has for the Philippians is so real, that Paul calls on God as his witness in the proclamation of it. The God who searches hearts and knows Paul's heart better than he knows it himself is called on to witness to the strength and seriousness of Paul's love for the Philippians. But this love, this basis for such joy, is ultimately not Paul's. For he yearns for the Philippians, desiring personal fellowship with them, quote, with all the affection of Jesus Christ. This affection does not belong to Paul, but to Christ. Paul loves the Philippians and longs for them out of Christ's very own heart. The Christ who came to Paul just as he came to us as a friend while he and we were still his enemies. It is with this love that Paul loves the Philippians, the love of Christ, the love that is made manifest and effective in the gospel, and it brings him joy. 
The joyful thanksgiving that Paul lives leads him to pray for the Philippians, and we see that beginning in verse 9. After looking back into the past in thanksgiving, Paul is filled with joy in the present and is moved to pray for the Philippians' future. He prays that their love may abound more and more, along with knowledge and discernment, so that the Philippians would love what is excellent and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. That they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ, through whom all the good gifts of God have been given to them. From their election in him from before the foundation of the world, through his atoning death on the cross on their behalf, through which they have received justification, Paul now prays for their continued sanctification by his spirit and their final glorification in him. And this glorification does not end with the Philippians, but ultimately brings glory to God. Paul's prayer, born of thanksgiving to God and joy from the love of Christ, is a prayer that the gospel might be brought to completion in them. But Paul does not just pray for the Philippians. He prays for them with confidence. Some of you who may have been following along in the Bible, um, tracking along with me, may have noticed it appears that I skipped uh, verse 6 as I progressed through the text. Um, But this is where Paul Um, is confident most fully, where we see his confidence most fully on display. Paul is certain of what God will do for the Philippians. He is certain that his prayer for the Philippians will be answered with a yes, that they will be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. And this has nothing to do with the Philippians themselves. In a sense, Paul is basing his prayer on what he sees in them, in their partnership in the gospel and their perseverance in it. But it is not what they do that gives him confidence. Paul has certainty because of God. Because God has already begun a good work in the Philippians, he will bring it to completion. He has called these Gentiles out of their darkness and into his marvelous light. He has sustained them through the absence of their church's dear founder, Paul, giving them the grace to persevere in a city in which far more people are committed to Caesar's lordship than Jesus's, giving them the grace to love and serve their disgraced leader through prayer and provision. Paul knows that God does not change and that therefore God will continue working in the Philippians until he is finished with them. And God does not produce shoddy work. Paul expresses this confidence elsewhere in his letters, most notably in Romans, in chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, where he says that he is sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says all of this on the basis of the gospel, that if God has given his own son up for us, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? In each moment of what Paul has written here to the Philippians, in his thanksgiving, his joy, and his prayer, we are pointed not to Paul, not to Philippians, but to God and the gospel the grounds and basis of each of these things, of the prayer, of the joy, and of the thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes as a gift because the gospel comes as a gift. It is a gift to give thanks because giving thanks points us back to the gospel of Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, in whom God reconciled the world to himself, through whom we have the forgiveness of sins and adoption as sons and daughters into God's family. And these truths that thanksgiving reminds us of and points us toward are the source of our deepest joy because they are also 
made possible and actual in God's great love for us in Christ. And this thanksgiving and this joy finally bring us to our knees in prayer because they rightly point towards confidence in the future on account of God's grace in the past and present. Paul, in giving thanks in circumstances marked by suffering and sorrow, shows us how doing such a thing is a good gift from God. But where does that leave us? While our lives in the 21st century are quite a bit different than Paul's, Rome's a bit gone, um, it's been gone for a while now, um, there is more than enough that we share with him, more than enough that we have in common, uh, that allows us to meaningfully heed his word, that he gives us a, later, a bit later on in Philippians, in chapter 3, verse 17, uh, in which he tells us to join in imitating him. Paul looks back on his life, even in prison, to remember how God has been gracious to him in the Philippians. He gives God thanks for the gift of such friends and is moved to look beyond his own situation and pray for those whom he loves. Recently, I have been thinking about a friend and older brother in the faith who moved away this month to start a new job in D.C. Some of you might know to whom I'm alluding. Um, This man helped me to keep my eyes set on Christ while in college. There he taught me the Bible much better than any of my seminary professors, with possibly one exception, have. Uh, He was one of the people who helped me most as I was discerning a call to seminary, and he taught me very, very, very much last year uh, as he let me partner with him in campus ministry for my previous field education placement. When we found out that he was was leaving and going to D.C., having gotten this new job, my wife Krista asked me if I was sad about this. And at the time, perhaps out of a sense of somewhat arrogant piety, I said, no, I'm not sad. I'm very happy. I'm very happy for this friend that God is calling him to a new, a new and good thing uh, in a different place. Um, but now that he's left, now that he's gone, and now that I no longer run into him as I meander about Princeton, uh, I realize that I'm a bit sad about this. I'm much sadder than I initially thought, um, that he's no longer here, that I no longer get to see his two very cute children and very just competent and lovely wife uh, who's really good at making vegetarian food. Uh, sort of turned me on to it a bit. Um, Yeah, but in spite of this sorrow, I can thank God for what this brother has been to me and to other people whom I love and for the fellowship I have with him even from afar in Christ. And from the joy that comes along with this remembering and thanksgiving, I can pray that God continues to bring the work that he was doing in and through him during his time in Princeton to completion. And so can each of you in your own circumstances, not necessarily with this person. Uh, you can go and do likewise. Um, but saying go and do likewise is not really much of a sermon, um, as I initially alluded to at the beginning. Um, if there's anything uh, that we learn from Paul uh, in Philippians in this brief text that I've shared with you this morning, uh, I hope that what we learn is that our ability to thank God comes not from our own striving, not from how hard we try, how successfully we narrate our lives to, ex- to narrate our lives to ourselves, or how well we are able to push our selfish desires uh, out of our hearts and our minds. No, ultimately we are thankful to God and give him thanksgiving because it is God who wills it. It is God's will for us to be thankful, to bless us with the gift of thanksgiving, And he will not abandon us to our own devices in this. He will bring the work of thanksgiving to completion in us at the day of Christ Jesus, just as he brings it about in part for us today as a foretaste, 
as we strive after the example of Paul in gratitude and hope. And he will not only bring our thanksgiving to completion, but also our joy, today in part and in fullness at the day of Christ Jesus. And we can say this with confidence because our God has proven himself faithful. Uh, as he has proven time and time again in our lives uh, throughout scripture and in Paul's life right here. So with that, with that confidence, uh, let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gift of your scripture, your word to us, on your servant Paul, who goes before us as a witness to your gospel, uh, the gospel through which we have been reconciled to you, uh, in which we find forgiveness of sins and adoption as sons and daughters. I pray, Lord, for us in this church that we would grow uh, in our desire to thank you in all things, in all circumstances, uh, in things that are very apparently good and joyful and very clearly a blessing, uh, and in those matters which are much more mixed, much more heavy, laden with the brokenness of this world. I pray that we would be able to do this, Lord, ultimately because we look to you as the great source of all good things in our lives, that you are the one who gives good gifts to his children, and we are your children. Father, let us not grow complacent uh, in our thanksgiving, uh, as can be so tempting as we have a holiday once a year uh, in which we deliberately do it. Um, let Thanksgiving permeate our very being such that when we think of our friends, when we think of our family, when we think of any good gift that you have given us, we, like Paul, would be moved to thank you for them and that this Thanksgiving would bring about joy and prayerfulness in our hearts such that we might be more faithful witnesses to your gospel uh, and more ardent lovers of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.